Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot, so your sham host will find a famous plot. From books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch, then off you go to write what you don't know. Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Andrew Neal. Hey folks, it's Andrew, like that British lady just said, and I'm here to host Sham Fiction for another week. Hope you're all doing great, hope you're all ready for some excellent stories told by two of my favorite writers and Aww. friends. Aww. I'm going to start with this guy over here, Mr. Eric Carlson. Hello. How you doing, pal? Hey, friend. I'm good. Yeah, you ready to write me, uh, write me a, a great story? I mean, I'm always ready to write you a great story. You just got to ask. I like that. My friend, I asked my friend to write me a story, and he complies. And also give me $20. Uh, no, what, wait, what, what, what's that? What, Never mind. Okay, going over to my other friend. <laughs> so you forgot his name. Oh. <laughs> Hello, friend. We've met before, right? Your friend with the inexplicably low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Marcus, man. I'm sorry about that. I hope you're doing well. It's like, I'm doing well. I'm doing well when you smile, buddy. Oh, man. Always feeling good. You ready to write a story? Yeah, for half the price of Eric will. Oh, <laughs> Gosh, you guys are charging me. I never charge you when I have to write stories. Four fifty. Four fifty. Oh, we got a bet. We got a four fifty. Two way for it. Twenty-five. Ooh, oh, it's a half. Half of the five. Half of the five. Keeps happening. Keeps happening. I can't do it. I can't do it. Too much for my blood. All right, Scott. All right. I was actually like trying to do the the audition. It was very good. I just said audition. I was. I just said. I was. Yeah. Auction. Auction. Yeah, should know words like that because today we're going we're going to the old west today. Ooh. We're gonna we're gonna. Are we be... doing Lost at Sea again? Oh, no. that that old west. Oh, no, we classic. are not doing that. It's a deep cut for deep our true cuts fans. For sham fiction listeners, we're doing something with real cowboys and real old west. We are doing the Oscar-winning film Unforgiven. Ooh, I don't even know what this one is. Never so, heard of it. Never heard of it. So, guys, Unforgiven won the Oscar Best Picture what? in 1993. Oh. Came out in 1992. Oh, wow. It's directed by Clint Eastwood. Wait, hold Eastwood. on. In 93? Yeah. In 93? Mm-hmm. Did, did they know that, that Jurassic Park? Well, Jurassic Park came out in 93. Oh. So it would have had to have, it okay. should have won in 1994. Did it win in 94? It did not. It did not. Could Shame. I tell you what won in 94 off the top of my head? No, I could not. Was it The English Patient? Oh, gosh. Or was that 95? Oh, Or was that 96? Man. Let's talk more about Jurassic Park. Let's talk <laughs> more about Unforgiven, All right. which is an excellent film. Uh, yes, as I think I said, directed by uh, Clint Eastwood and written by David Webb Peoples, uh, starring Clint himself, uh, Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, wow, and Lex Luthor, the, the same, and uh, Richard Harris, oh, who y'all might know as the first Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter, and Marcus films. Aurelius from Gladiator. That's from, also true. From Gladiator. Oh, yeah. Less beardly in that one. Did, does he have a beard in this one? Is it too soon to ask those questions? Um, I'll say I'll just say yes, he does. Yeah, but not nearly as epic as Dumbledore. <laughs> it's too bad. All uh, right, so I am going to take the next eight minutes to pitch you all, un- y'all. I got to get into the y'alls. I know nothing about it, sugar. Well, I'm gonna tell you, partner. About this here Western movie, I'm not gonna talk like that at well, all. Well, how do you do? <laughs> Because this movie is not like that at oh, all. Let's get on with we'll the We'll be the judges of that. Okay. Ooh, let's get the time on the clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. 
Okay, so the story of Unforgiven takes place in the 1880s, mostly around the town of Big Whiskey, Wyoming, but it also takes place on the road between a a farm in Kansas and Big Whiskey. Uh, But in the frontier town of Big Whiskey, a prostitute is brutally attacked by a cowboy, leaving her face covered in cuts. And the local sheriff, named Little Bill Daggett, lets this cowboy and his friend who uh, assisted him off with just a light punishment. Doesn't matter, because prostitutes in this town, they don't matter. They're property. They're not people. Uh, So the other prostitutes take it onto themselves to pool their money together and put out a hit on these two cowboys. And so to answer that call, uh, far away on a farm in Kansas is William or Bill Money, who is struggling as a pig pig farmer, trying to provide for his two children after the death of his wife. And all of a sudden, enter this unknown gunslinger calling himself... Bill? The Schofield Kid. Oh, okay. And he wants Money's help to kill these cowboys and collect the reward. And even though that Money has left this life of uh, life of crime behind him, the Schofield kid has come here because he's heard of Money's exploits in the past. Um, he he just even though he's left that life behind, Money decides because he's struggling to to go with the kid and 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 collect this uh, this bounty. And he brings along his good friend Ned Logan, who is played by Morgan Freeman, along for the ride to uh, to go and uh, hunt down these cowboys. So let's get into the characters a little bit. So Bill Money, again, he's a terrible farmer. When we meet him, he is face down in the muck and, like, trying to catch pigs and failing miserably. And, like, his kids are like, these pigs are sick, you know, we have to separate them. It's just, he's a terrible, terrible farmer. Um, but he turned his life around. He We keep getting these hints of a dark past throughout the film. Um, the Schofield kid, when he shows up, so Money doesn't know him because this is a young guy. Money is... Clint Eastwood, he's an older guy. Oh, sure. um, and so uh, Schofield Kid is like, are you Bill Money, the same William Money who killed women and children? Like, you know, he's known as this, like, terrible bandit. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, but he's, his, his wife entered the picture and kind of turned his life around. Um, but she passed away recently, so he doesn't have her around anymore. So to join in with this party to get this bounty is you know he's he's willing to do it because his wife isn't around anymore like a cowboy john wick um the schofield kid um he's very boastful of his exploits as an outlaw a little too much because these older guys that used to be it they don't really talk about what they used to do at all and this guy is all about talking about the people that he's killed uh but it all seems like talk and they very quickly discover that like he can't see his eyesight is bad like he can't (laughs) see distances he can shoot things up close but he can't really shoot things from a distance he's terrible with a rifle he just is good with his schofield pistols um so four minutes remaining oh man halfway through um so we're not really sure if this guy is a like all he says he's he's supposed to be um all right next up the sheriff of big whiskey little bill daggett who's played by gene hackman little bill runs the town with an iron fist he is an intimidating and vicious man um there's no fire alarms allowed in town little bill used to be an outlaw too and he knows how outlaws work and now he runs the town and doesn't want any of that in his town um so uh he but so he keeps the town safe people are comfortable but they're also in fear of him like even his deputies are like constantly intimidated by him he has this like false friendliness to him like he'll kind of like lull you in like with like kind of his like kind of smile and everything and then he'll just like beat the shit out of people (laughs) like he's he's really scary and his big thing throughout the movie is that he's trying to build a house for himself and he's terrible at it and like he's like there's scenes in the house where it's raining and there's just like water pooling in places like and he's like like, trying to catch it in buckets and stuff (laughs) so he's like this like vicious guy that's also a terrible house builder (laughs) um and and then uh, another character comes into town looking for the bounty and his name is english bob and this is uh (laughs) richard harris and he's this well-dressed gunfighter who's really just high on his own legend 
Um, he boasts of his exploits, and he's from England, and he likes to boast of England and how England is better than than America, and that you should have a queen rather than a president because presidents are easy to kill, and queens aren't. Who would kill a queen? Who would kill a king? Um, and he is followed by a writer named W.W. Beauchamp. And the writer is writing books about English Bob because English Bob has all these stories of being a gunfighter. Two minutes and, remaining. Oh, man. And, and uh, Beauchamp is just feeding off of that, feeding off of those legends. But when Bob and Beauchamp meet up with Little Bill in Big Whiskey, Beauchamp kind of finds out that this shared past that we find out is between Little Bill and Bob that these stories that Bob has been telling him might not be all truth. Um, and that's kind of the big theme of this movie and what this movie does. It's this legend versus reality kind of coming into conflict. Um, it's known as kind of one of the big, like one of the, it's like the revisionist Western, this film. Um, it's aware of the Western tropes that you're used to, the outlaws, gunfights, and all these things. They're all there all the characters that you're used to seeing but it's like what if these things didn't have that like fantasy like legendary aspect and they were just one minute remaining so when people are getting like when there are gunfights when it does get violent it's not pretty it's not like you know when you would see like the man with no name just being able to like shoot 20 guys boom 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 Mm -hmm. it's it's tough killing people is hard and, 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 and when you do shoot somebody, like, it has a reaction. It has an effect. Like, this prostitute was attacked and hurt. And just from that one bit of violence, just this violence just escalates throughout the piece. And just more and more people are getting hurt and killed. Um, so that's... Uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's one of those things. Uh, but there are some things. The one place where the stories do feel true are with Bill Money where all these things are being hinted at. And at one point, the Schofield kid's like, well, you killed, like, three guys in that saloon that one time, right? And Ned comes up to Bill afterwards and is like, it was more like seven, wasn't it? Like, so, like, Bill, like, seems legitimate. Oh, there's the end of the time. But I feel pretty good about all those details. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we have reached the end of the pitch. Giving you a little bit of Unforgiven here, uh, but next up we're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna do Q and A segment, where each well, of rapid you... fire. Yeah, rapid fire. Boom, boom. Shoot off them questions like your six shooters. <laughs> I love when you describe western things. More, please. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so each of you is gonna have uh, two minutes to ask me questions, but. You're doing it one at a time, so one of y'all has to leave the room, and so randomly I'm going to say, Marcus, you're going to stay. Eric, I'm going to have you uh, exit the room. Well, let me saddle up my horse with the thing, the, 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 the saddle and the Can you leave? strap, <laughs> you and I'm going to mosey on out of here. You should just take go. that out of his time. <laughs> just, just, yep, you're going to be minus uh, 30 seconds on your Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, uh, all right, oh, Marcus. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> he would. He, why wouldn't he just leave? <laughs> okay, so you have two minutes to ask me any questions that you have about Unforgiven. Let's get the time going. Two minute Q and A begin. All right. Uh, is this a sad movie? Yes, it is. Is it very navel gazy, like uh, looking at? past deeds and slow kind of thing very much so like during this trip to big whiskey ned and bill are reminiscing on their times but not in a good way and bill is constantly saying i'm not like that anymore i'm not that person anymore so what finally convinces bill to actually go and be a part of this posse so i mean you see from the very beginning on his farm that things are not good for him like he's the he's not a good farmer he's poor he's down in the dumps and i think he's doing it to provide for his family that's his excuse for doing it okay so it's easy money he's just mm-hmm. gonna go back and do this one last time yeah okay uh how how is the uh prostitute involved in this story after she gets stabbed is that just like a one-off or is she part a character uh so the prostitutes are characters they're they're kind of secondary characters um 
so Bill and his party meet up with them eventually. They go to Big Whiskey and 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 like talk to them. Do briefly. they have like a whorehouse? Yeah, it, there's a saloon with a, a whorehouse in the back. Okay. Yeah, they always say it's the billiards. I'm gonna go play the billiards, and gotcha. they go back. Well, yeah. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, so do the cowboys of the posse? They treat them with respect. Treat the prostitutes with respect. Thirty seconds remaining. Yes. Yes. Bill and Ned. Though, though I shouldn't. You know, it's hard to say that because they treat them like of the time. Because like Ned and the Schofield kid are going to, to, to. Uh, they they like pay them for their service. They play some billiards. Yeah, they play some billiards. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. So it's hard to say because it's like they are indulging in that, but they also, they're not like beating them up or treating them like shit. Pretty low standard back then. Yes. That's what we're going for. Yes. Gotcha. This is going to be an interesting Time's one. up. Oh, yes. Right, that's that's the end of your time. But yes, no, it is going to be interesting. And I'm, I don't know if we've ever done... Oh, we haven't done a Western before. No, I can think of. the closest we had. Uh, nope, not even, not, <laughs> not at all, not at all. all. Right, well, I'm gonna zip out of here and okay. go right. Sounds good. And well, let's bring Eric back in. Hi, I'm back. You are back. You ready to ask me some questions? I think I am. All right, let's get the time going. All right. Two minute Q and A begin. All right, so. There's a, there's a, there are a few gunslingers in this town. They're all going after Bill, just to clarify. Bill Daggett, that's who they're trying to kill? Or? No, Wait, they're killing separate cowboys. That... Oh, do we know who they are? The cowboys? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're just cowboys. They, they have names, but I don't remember them. Okay, they're just bad cowboys. Yeah. So, okay, so is everybody, so Daggett included, Daggett kind of them, let them off, off the hook pretty easily, you Yep, said. so these two cowboys yeah. came in, and one of them cut up a prostitute. Yeah, the other yeah, one, yeah. like, kind of helped, okay. and Bill Daggett just kind of let them But go. you got Bill Money, you got the Schofield killed, you got Ned Logan, you got English Bob. Yep. All these people are all after this, uh, this job. They're, they're all trying to kill these cowboys mm-hmm. for hurting this prostitute because yeah. there's money in it. Yep. But English Copy. Bob's like a separate party. He's not with money and yeah, his yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, Mexican standoffs in this? Does yes. that happen? That does Ooh, happen. girl. All right. Uh, is there a sense of humor at all? Is this deadly serious? Uh, yeah, there's definitely – because there's that like bit like with – money unable to like get on his horse yeah like there's these bit that like of emasculation sure yeah yeah with the the house that sucks and all that yeah um any like important locations in town i need to be aware of where a lot it's of action takes western. place it's a western so your standard your yes. saloon yep your uh your haberdashery sure you got 30 the, seconds uh, remaining you got the uh the, the coffee shop that is also an internet cafe. Nope, you not got, that one. Not uh, that one. You got a dog washing parlor. Dog? What? <laughs> is that a real thing? I don't know if that's a thing. It's uh, <laughs> where you go to get your dog washed. Uh, yeah, whatever you want, uh, I guess. Oh, it's a body count in this movie. Body count? High? Uh, more not, than ten? Less more than, than ten. ten. More yeah. than ten. I think more that's than ten. That's a pretty good body count. Yeah, I think it's more than impressive. ten. It's probably around there. Well, Time's I think, up. I think that's the time, partner. <laughs> I, yep. I got all I need to know. <laughs> I can't wait for you to use that voice. <laughs> I wonder whose be, voice that's going to be. It's going to be Ned Logan, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> oh, no. Exactly like this is my Morgan Freeman impression. You can <laughs> go places with that <laughs> one. Didn't you know? All right. See the march of the penguins. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm cutting you off. Right. We gotta, we 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 gotta go to a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're gonna put uh, Eric, Eric's and Marcus's stories head to head in a literary battle of the pens, and it's gonna be it's great. Gonna be a shootout. Oh it's man. Okay, writing corral. Yep, you got it. <laughs> You're killing it. All right, we'll see. We'll be back in a, in a minute. Hey folks, it's commercial time with Andrew. Got a brief message to share with you all. If you like the show, there's a few things you can do to support us. First, and most importantly, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. That way you can get episodes right when they come out. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. Those things help others find us. It's the simplest way you can support the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Also, follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're there as Sham Fiction, one word. And if you really, really like us, 
you can kick us a few bucks on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com. It's like you're buying us a cup of coffee, and oh boy, is it tasty. Thanks for listening to this break, and let's get back to some shams. Hey there, Pilgrim. Welcome back to this year Sham Fiction Corral. I hope you enjoyed that there break, yeah, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a double take. It was it was it ricocheted. That's what happened. Hey, Andrew's back, your host for this week, and I'd hope that my compatriots who are writing this week have a couple of stories to share. Some some stories based on Unforgiven. Stories. Who's asking? <gasps> Ooh, very good, very good. Yes. So, what, you, you guys feeling good? Do you guys enjoy writing Unforgiven? It's dark. <laughs> it's, uh, I had a hell of a time. I wrote a light little comedy. Oh, boy. I think, I think you'll love it. Oh, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Okay. Let's let's get into the let's let's hear some stories. So I can't remember who got the Q and A first or last, but whatever. We're just gonna randomize it. Do 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 do. Crushing. Typing some numbers into the randomizer. You spent a lot of money on that randomizer. All right, and we're gonna go with Eric. Eric, you're gonna read Unforgiven first. I'm excited. us. I think uh, I think I'm ready to go. I think I got it all here. There are definitely words on the page, which is a good sign. It's a good start. So uh, yeah, without further ado, I'm just gonna dive right in. Please to Eric Carlson's Unforgiven. Yay. The cellar door was sealed up tight with a chain and a padlock the size of Bill Money's fist. Luckily, the single hinge holding the door to the side of the house was a piece of shit. <laughs> a light tap from the butt of the borrowed Schofield sent the pin into the dust, and a subsequent shove sent the door swinging open with a loud creak. If anyone was home, they would have heard it. But little Bill Daggett wasn't, and didn't. The cellar was pitch black, which was to be expected given the late hour, and the wooden stairs groaned under Money's weight in an eerily similar manner to the sound the hogs had made whenever he'd forgotten to feed them. He spared a thought for those poor bastards, probably dead in their pens in Kansas by now, but forgot about them completely when he got a whiff of that smell. It was a stench he knew all too well. Death. Decay. The smell of a man who should have been in the ground yesterday, instead of a soggy basement below floorboards that let the rainwater right in. He struck a match, (laughs) which kicked off enough of a glow to confirm what his nose had already told him. It wasn't one man, but two piled roughly in the center of the room, tied together with thick rope. Beauchamp's guess had been right. Ned Logan dealt another hand. For all their boasting about their proficiency at circles and squares, he was a bit put off to learn that he was the only man among them who could properly shuffle a deck, which meant he had become the de facto dealer. He quickly slid cards to each of them in turn, clockwise around the table. The kid, Little Bill Daggett, English Bob the writer Beauchamp, and finally himself. He skipped the empty space to his right, where money had been sitting. How the fuck long does your friend take to finish, boy? Daggett said with a scowl as he picked up his cards and fanned them out. Ned smiled amiably at the son of a bitch, (laughs) then glanced up at the balcony above, lined with young women in frilly dresses in the doors that led to their rooms. Clara's was the only one that was closed. Her exaggerated moans of pleasure could barely be heard over the conversation at the bar and the sound of the parlor piano tinkling away in the corner, but they were there. Now, Sheriff, you know we've come a long way to enjoy the hospitality of your pretty little town. Can you blame a man for taking his time? (laughs) Ned said as the rest of the table began tossing chips into the center. English Bob guffawed at this and said, that chap's been taking his bloody time for nearly an hour. Seems to be getting his money's worth. Ned studied his cards. It was a shit hand, but he wasn't playing to win after all. He matched the bet and folded his hand. Uh, considering the size of that bounty, began Beauchamp, folding as well, prices must be pretty healthy around here. For the whores? 
said Daggett. Extortion's what I'd call it. No wonder Tannen fucked up that bitch's face for what she charges. Why the hell did your friend choose that one? He asked, turning to Ned. He got a thing for fucked up faces? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe she offered a discount, suggested the kid as he, too, folded. No, I think old Bill Money's just got a soft spot for charity cases, said Ned. Ah, but not a soft cock it would seem, replied English Bob with another guffaw. If he keeps it up, he'll need that bounty just to pay his tab. Well, someone should tell him that he ain't getting it, said Daggett, matching the bet and raising once again. Now only English Bob and Daggett were in the game. Why would you say that? The kid asked Daggett. Bill Money is a legend. If anyone can bring those pigs to justice, it's him. Those pigs have already been dealt with, son, replied Daggett. Ned and Beauchamp shared a meaningful look. The writer's theory was seeming more and more likely. And from what I hear, he's in business with an entirely different kind of pig nowadays, he snorted. Then turned to English Bob and said, What's it gonna be, Bob? You already owe me plenty. English Bob threw down a few chips and said, I do believe you're right. I fold. That's more like it, roared Daggett, as he stood and began scooping all the chips towards his side of the table. He smirked at the kid and added, No, something tells me that your friend Bill Money ain't gonna be the one to collect that bounty, especially not while he's inside some fuck-faced whore. At that moment, the front doors of the saloon banged open, and, despite Daggett's assertions to the contrary, Bill Money walked in, and instead of being inside some fuck-faced whore, was pushing a wheelbarrow full of corpses. The two dead men had been hog-tied together, and now lay sprawled out over the sides of the thing, looking and smelling as if they'd been dead at least a couple days. I'm here for the bounty, Money growled. Conversations at the bar immediately ceased, and the piano struck a dissonant chord before falling silent, leaving the entire saloon deadly quiet for just a moment. Then, little Bill Daggett exploded. You goddamn motherfucker! You <laughs> fucking broke into my fucking house? He screamed, drawing his Smith & Wesson and aiming it square at Money's head. What are you talking about, Sheriff? Money said calmly, setting the back end of the wheelbarrow down with a thud. There's a bounty on these men's heads. I'm here to collect. Don't play fucking dumb with me, you cocksucker! Then he paused, looking at Money's Hall. That's my fucking wheelbarrow! <laughs> the next moment, English Bob was on his feet, leveling a derringer at the sheriff, and shouting, You bloody idiot! You left them unguarded! Are you fucking daft? Hey, replied Daggett, I thought he was upstairs! You thought he was upstairs! My cellar was locked! Ned cleared his throat and said, Sheriff, are you trying to say that these dead men were stowed in your cellar? What? He screamed as he turned from money and leveled the gun at Ned, who remained nonplussed. Now, why on earth would an upstanding lawman like yourself have two dead men, two dead men with bounties on their heads, I might add, stored in your home? Asked Ned amiably. Ah, fuck you, shouted Daggett. <laughs> you were in on this, weren't you? All of you. He gestured to the rest of the table. Ned turned to see both Beauchamp and the kid ducking behind the table to stay out of view of the sheriff and his pistol. So much for the Schofield kid's gunslinging exploits, Ned supposed. I found him, said Money. Daggett spun back around to look at the man, who hadn't moved an inch or drawn the Schofield pistol he'd borrowed from the kid. Fair and square. Unless you'd like to admit in front of all these lovely ladies, that their piece of pig shit sheriff decided to cut a deal with a bounty hunter for half the reward they promised to the man who did the job that he wouldn't. Daggett spared a quick glance upstairs to the women lining the balcony, then shot daggers at money with his eyes. You motherfucker! shouted Daggett once again. He turned to English Bob and the Derringer. Don't shoot me, you limey fuck! That man has your goddamn bounty! He said gesturing towards money, before the distinctive click and snap of a Colt double-barrel shotgun being cocked drew his attention towards the bar. In his rage, Daggett must not have noticed when the upstairs door had opened, or when the woman in the black dress had walked out of the room and down the stairs. And if he didn't notice all that, there was no way in hell he'd notice the sizable cannon she was wielding, 
or the distinctively horrific set of fresh scars covering her entire face. And he wasn't likely to notice any of those details now that the barrel of that cannon was planted firmly between his shoulder blades. Hattie, Sheriff, said Clara, you causing trouble in my bar? Daggett's eyes went wide, and he slackened his grip on the Smith & Wesson and slowly raised his hands into the air. English Bob, too, lowered his weapon and sat down. You dumb bitch, Daggett growled. I'm the law in this town. Well, obviously not, replied Clara, who was staring at the rotten contents of the wheelbarrow. That's them, all right, she said with a pained smile, then met Bill Money's eyes and said, Much obliged for the justice you've done, Mr. Money. I believe we owe you a sizable reward. Now, would you mind taking this foul shit outside? Ned couldn't be sure if she was referring to Little Bill Daggett or the corpses. <laughs> the end. Nice. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Pew pew pew. Pew pew indeed. Wow. That was that was sure a western. There were cowboys. There were pistols. There were swears. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Was was the attacker named Tannen after Biff Tannen? <laughs> Uh, it was after Buford Tannen, uh, from, uh, you know, Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Buford Tannen. Very good, very good. Well, let's get to our second story. I, I will give no reaction other than stating that it was a Western. No further reaction will be given <laughs> right now. Objective party right here. I'm saying it. Marcus, let us partake in your story. Alright. Partake we shall. Here we go. This is my version of Unforgiven with accents not as good as Eric's. No. <laughs> Time was, Bill could feel it when he drank. The weight of the whiskey in his hand, the satisfaction of that last swallow and the sound of the glass hitting the bar. When he was a young man, the drink made him bolder. As he grew into himself, it was the mark of a job well done. Whether killing a man or loving a woman. Today, <laughs> it was only emotion. He counted 14 men in the saloon as he took his first sip. You never count on your way in. Makes you look suspicious to the kind of people who know what to look for. Those were exactly the kind of people you didn't want noticing you. The kind of people Bill used to be. Ned sat to Bill's right and the kid sat to his left. Eyes darting around the room like a cornered rabbit. A couple of women eyed up the clientele near the back of the bar. The kid was an easy mark for their kind. Still young enough to think his cock was as important as his gun. <laughs> Still young enough to feel what he paid for. What do you think, Ned? What would it take to get the sheriff's attention? Oh, I don't know, Bill. Play a couple <laughs> rounds of poker over there and you could probably find someone worth killing. I've never seen so many aces in one deck. Ned smiled. <laughs> Me, I'm reformed, Ned. A new man. I want to dirty these hands with a game as low as poker. Why do you want to get the sheriff's attention? The kid's voice was level, but Bill could f smell fear on him. The whole reason I found you was because he wouldn't do what needed to be done. Bill turned to face the kid head on. He knew that look. Usually saw it in men he was going to kill. Listen here, kid. The whole reason you found me was to collect money from these whores who put up the bounty. You found me because you're too much shit to do it yourself. Now you can try pulling that gun you're fingering, or you can go play billiards and let the grown-ups handle it, Schofield kid. What'll it be? <laughs> Sweat beaded on the kid's forehead. It was almost enough to make Bill smile. He tossed him a half dollar, which the kid caught with two hands. First game's on me. The kid stared at Bill for a few heartbeats, then stood up and walked to the closest thing in a corset. When Bill turned back to Ned, he saw his old friend laughing. These are the men who are going to replace us? Mark of the changing times. Used to be this was a civil land. You know my opinion on that. Ned stared out past the room. His eyes landed on a war not too long past. Bill <laughs> wasn't in the mood to join him there. Ned, I know your opinion on everything, he said, <laughs> forcing a smile for his old friend. But I also knew a union that followed the rule of law. 
Those days you could get a sheriff's attention just by pulling iron in a reputable establishment such as this, Bill said. What do you think the odds are that would work today? I would say pretty low, Mr. Money, because you already have my attention. And if you pull a gun in the middle of, the, of my neighbor's evening, you won't like what else you'll be getting from me. <laughs> Bill acts surprised as he turned to see the sheriff joined him at the bar, taking the kid's seat. Sheriff Daggett? Why don't we see if we can find a place to have a nice conversation upstairs? I'm sure the ladies won't mind. Bill stood without further prompting and placed a hand on Ned's shoulder to tell him not to follow. In truth, he was more concerned about his knees on the stairs than he was by little Bill Daggett. <laughs> the conversation started as soon as the door closed, with Daggett knocking Bill to the floor. He took Bill's gun and landed blow after blow on him without much of an introduction. In between the kicks and punches, he muttered some horse shit about law and order in his town. It was a speech Bill had heard many times in his career, and he knew it was usually best to just let the other man tire himself out. When Daggett's tantrum was over, he sat on the well-used bed and allowed Bill to pull himself up to a seat on a small dressing bench. Bill wiped some of the blood from his forehead and spat more from his mouth. You done? Daggett's raise turned into a laugh. <laughs> you have something to say now? I'm all ears. Bill sighed. <sighs> My son is nearly five years old now. Same age I was when I first picked up my father's gun. Wasn't as nice as the one you took from me, but it could hurl lead just the same. I struggled to lift it and hold it steady, and I complained to him that it weighed too much as he was trying to teach me to suit. He got a strange look in his eye when I said that, and it took me years to understand his silence. Years of killing with a steady hand before I understood. What did you understand? Daggett asked. I'm dying to know. I'll make you a bargain, Bill said. You tell me why you let those men cut up that girl go free, and I'll tell you what I learned. Bill knew what Daggett's answer would be, but he didn't want to hear it. There was a reason he had walked out on this life. There wasn't a girl in my town who was cut up, Mr. Money. There was an issue with broken property. <laughs> there it was. Bill closed his eyes, and for a moment his vision drifted back to that war. He opened them when Daggett spoke again. Now tell me, what's the end of your little story? What did you understand? To my father, Bill said, the weight was never the gun. It was the life on the other end of it. And I reckon I could heft yours without a bit of lead. Turned out, Bill was right. His face and stomach were numb from Daggett's beating, but violent men often ignored the arms. Professionals broke hands. Daggett was just a violent man, meeting a professional end with Bill's fingers curled around his throat, gun <laughs> hanging uselessly to his side. The action had as much weight as the sheriff's last strained breath. Heading back down the stairs was harder. No one warned outlaws about their knees getting older. He knew he'd have to get back to tell his sons about that someday. The bar was silent as Bloody Bill Money sat down next to his old friend. Didn't even nod to know what had happened. Bill joined him without saying a word. He just ordered a whiskey that he hoped he would feel. The end. Ooh. Very. Oh. Very western. Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, you, you, you are a good writer, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. As are you. Marcus, Marcus, you are a writer, sir. <laughs> Confirmed. Objective party. <laughs> because we have yet to reach that part of the show, in which I give my judgment on who wins this battle of the quills. But before we get to that, I want to hear a little bit more about this process. I want to hear about how this how this went for y'all. So let's start with Eric. Give Marcus a chance to catch his breath. Thank you, sir. How, oh, much obliged. Uh, <laughs> Eric, how'd this go for you? Any challenges that stood that, that you'd care to talk about? Uh, yeah. I mean, I had I had some trouble getting into this. I think uh, the writing itself uh, went pretty quickly for me, but just finding the story here is uh, is tricky. 
Um, okay. I think I always I always jump to the possible climax of the story, like where I think the uh, you know where the 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 climax of the third act is going to be. Yeah. When we talk about these sham fictions, because we get all this pitch and and you know we I look through all my notes and I extrapolate where these characters are likely to go, what sort of story beats are likely to happen, and so the most interesting moment always tends to be at first glance that that climax. Yeah. And trying to write a beat that had weight that wasn't necessarily the climax of the movie is a challenge. I sure. think what I ended up writing kind of comes across as a possible climax, mm-hmm. um, though my intentions were more kind of mid-film beat. Like, you know, I could imagine that this whole situation with the bounty um, kind of gets taken care of, you know, fairly quickly in the story. And the rest of the drama is about these players, you know, about mm-hmm. about Bill Daggett versus... Uh, the rest of them is kind of where I wanted it to go. Sure. So I briefly considered killing off, killing Daggett, putting a, putting a shotgun round in his back at the end of this. But I'm like, you know what? There's more story here. I'm not going to write it, but there's more here. Uh, so just kind of finding that, that moment was hard for me. It took a long time. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus, how much for you? Much the same. I, I had trouble figuring out what I was going to be writing about and what what is the beat here. Mm-hmm. And trying to give some sort of satisfying resolution to what I'm setting up in the beginning, I ended up favoring the emotional side of this more. So mm-hmm. thinking about what if this movie is a deconstruction, you know, what, what is this telling us about the cowboy life, what it does to a man and what it does to go back to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was that was a real challenge. And there's so many characters. And Eric, I think you did that excellently. Uh, you handled all the characters. I w- wanted to get more into this, but I uh, ended up focusing very intently on Bill and Ned. Yeah, no, but then, you know, yours was prime. I mean, it was started off Bill and Ned, which is great because they're friends. You actually get to see their banter. But then you uh, you go off to that, that great little scene between uh, Money and Daggett. Um, so it's like you chose your beats very uh, purposefully. It's Thank very you. well done. Yeah, so that was, uh, it was a fun one. Good, good. Well, the time has come for this objective party to finally... Mosey on up. Belly on up to the bar and <laughs> order a whiskey and regale you with his own <laughs> tale of judgment. Oh, I'm dying to know. Oh, man, I know you are. I know you are. So um, I enjoyed both of these stories very much. Um, a lot of great uh, use of Western uh, elements, a lot of good genre elements here. Um, good voices. Uh, for the parts, it was fun. I'm, I'm. I hope you guys were, were very excited to do your your spins on Morgan Freeman. Of course. Uh, I can tell that Eric especially really hit on that. Oh yeah. Well, it, was, it was tough trying to balance Morgan Freeman with Morgan Freeman cowboy. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, but uh, I thought that was great, and I was so pleased that you both went there, and with Clint Eastwood, just two iconic voices, and you both um, played around with that, which is good. It's good elements to play with. Um, so, as far as winners and losers go, for tonight's, or today's, or whenever's, Shasham Fiction episode regarding Unforgiven. We record this this show in a timeless bubble. We do, <laughs> we true. do. It's a vacuum. It's a... It's a um, tonight, today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the winner of Unforgiven Sham Fiction uh, is, of course... Uh, Clint Eastwood and Ooh. David Webb Peoples, the director uh. and writer, respectively, of Unforgiven. Uh, well, good for them. Yep, they 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 wrote, uh, they directed and wrote, respectively, uh, one of the best westerns of all time. Um, but Marcus, you 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 got you got there. You 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 lost a little less than than Eric oh. did on this occasion. Well, thank you, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, no, I, uh, I I really enjoyed that you um, what the deciding factor uh, between both of your stories 
was um, hitting on the theme of an aging uh, cowboy, which Marcus's uh, piece explored, as you as you mentioned, um, discussing your piece there. Um, that's that's the, the, the that's the defining feature of this film, uh, Eric. Your piece felt like a western. It really again it really hit the generic yeah. elements. Both of your pieces did, um, but what tipped Marcus over the edge is that this story is specifically about the um, the weight of a life lived this way. Um, so one of my favorite details, Marcus, in your piece was the um, the knees on the stairs, like the consideration of that. It's just that's a small detail. That just feels right because they're Ned and 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 uh, 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 and money are dealing with these small isms of age. You know, they're these these small things of age just pile up on them throughout. In addition to the memories of this past, and I think your your piece your piece touched on those in a really great way. So that's what ultimately ultimately led me in that direction. Thank you. Very well deserved. Well, must it, it was very close. I mean, Eric, your piece was excellent. I was really thrilled by how much you were able to pack into such a short story in terms of character and really getting a feel for the scene. And uh, you did have a fun plot development. I, I liked that you had this little cutaway in the beginning where you start it with, this is him discovering the corpses, and then we come back into the other scene. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I will echo that. That opening scene was really great. It pulled it pulled me right in immediately. I cool. love the the just talk about imagery in that. Uh, you really use that um, uh, Daggett's house. I I, I I felt that. I could see all of that. It was really really immersive in that moment. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, there's definitely. Uh, I mean, what you what do you all think of the tone of this like starting it off there and it's pretty you know we're in this dark cellar and it's pretty serious and 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 uh, i guess visceral with what's going on and then we jump to the the bar and it's it's a bit lighter and different like what how'd you feel about that so that's i'm really glad that's a great question because i would say that kind of hits on what again made this stand out from unforgiven versus just being a good western piece so Mm -hmm. overall this i think was a good western piece but that scene, that opening scene, the darkness, the dreariness that you use in that scene, that's more reminiscent of Unforgiven. Sure. Um, versus the other scene that doesn't quite have the that element of age and and um, the oppression of like a past that is just this film is just reeking with it. Like everybody has this weight of death on their shoulders. Sure. Well it was Man. also Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Well, I was going to say, it's a real hero moment, right? And it also was very empowering to Clara in that moment. Gave her a lot more agency than I'm guessing she would have gotten in this film. Yeah, that too. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So as a listener, really fun to hear that. But uh, as far as the piece, I I can see how that might be a bit of a divergence. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely knew I wasn't going full Eastwood with Mm -hmm. this. Uh, not taking it uh, as, I guess, seriously or as emotionally as uh, the the real film would have, and I'm sure he is. Um, but Marcus, you are, like, the, you really understand your characters. Like, when you go into these sham fictions, I'm amazed how well you know these characters, considering that you're not spending that much time on this project. So you really, you have this talent of getting to the heart of who these people are. Um, and it's really impressive because it's extremely difficult to do. Um, I think you made a good decision when you decided to stick to just a few key characters because I think that allowed you to really dive in to the emotions of a single person that would have been harder if, if it was muddied in a crowd. You know, writing dialogue when there's like five or six people all talking in a room is just it, it's difficult um, because you, you, you don't have time to get to everybody's deal. Yeah. You know, everybody has their own story that they're telling, but when it's a crowd like that, you just don't see it. You, you get a little taste. You dive just a, just a bit into the surface of uh, what's going on. But with, with your story, 
you just went like you do- dove into the deep end and we just got this huge taste of this character and it's very impressive you did a great job i well, love you it. very much i'm uh i'm very pleased i definitely wanted to to focus on that i do have a question for andrew about the story yeah I, this is the thing i i you know i we're doing these stories and they're short stories and we do them pretty quickly. So some topics don't end up getting the amount of depth that they deserve. So were you to handle some of these areas in a more serious piece, you would have greater level of consideration. But I had a couple nods to this because I was curious about the notion of a African-American cowboy, you know, Mm. about 20 years after the civil war. So, how does that play into the film? Um, strangely, in this film, it doesn't. Um, oh, wow. There are no references made. It's one of the, 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 the outline elements of the film, that there are no real references made to Ned's race. Um, there is a moment near the end uh, that he is beaten in a specific way but i don't think they in that scene they ever bring it up even in that bit um it's 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 not a key element of his character and the way people perceive him and in fact now that i'm thinking about it um i believe having i've read some stuff and heard some stuff about the film that the character wasn't even intended to be black it's just they cast morgan freeman because eastwood thought he'd be the best for the role Sure. Because when you get the chance to cast Morgan Freeman, you cast Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That's excellent, yeah. I, I was just curious because, you know, I was thinking gritty, grounded cowboy movie would maybe deal with that period. And, and there is stuff, there is nasty stuff. One thing that I appreciated about Eric's piece is that you weren't afraid to have some of that texture of just, you know, nasty stuff <laughs> being said and uh the movie is definitely not uh rid of those elements um i don't think i mentioned it entirely but uh english bob's job is uh to um shoot deserters from the railroad and oh. so the railroad builders are primarily chinese workers so he's very racist against the chinese in the film and hmm. we see you know, like it's just a little bits of that throughout the throughout the piece. So it's not, you know, absolved of these things. It's uh, part of the the tapestry. It's part of the the character. I would like uh, to point out something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to point out a piece of personal shame. Uh, just gonna air air my dirty laundry. Here it Please. comes. Yeah. Here it comes. Here it comes. It's related yeah. to English, Bob. Yeah. Uh, I used both a Cockney and a posh accent for the same character. And yep. I would like to apologize to our listening audience. Oh, please. Who caught they... that and were angry at me. Not rehearsed yep. enough. That's all right. The end. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I, I, I Thank noticed, you. but I, I, I was going to let it go. I was going to let it slide. Thank you. Let it slide. Anyway. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it, it um, was interesting to me that you both decided to latch on to, even though your scenes were quite different, there was a lot of elements that were similar. Like yeah. you both said it in the saloon, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and 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 reference to the, the um, you know the whorehouse, uh, the billiards upstairs. That was um, something, Eric, that uh, was only in my Q and A with Andrew. Oh yeah, that they refer to having sex with the whores as playing billiards. That's hilarious and mm-hmm. great. Yep, yep. Um, so those elements, you know, and that it was a. Uh, not, I mean, Marcus's your your scene wasn't necessarily a standoff, but just like that the the the, the key action was set in that location. Um, I mean, that's just such an iconic location for a western, and um, mm-hmm. this movie has those. It has the 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 key. There's a couple of key dramatic sequences that take place in that saloon, so that that was definitely on point. Mm-hmm. Groovy. Um, yeah. So, any other comments that you guys want to make about each other's stories? First of all, Marcus, great performance. Oh, you, thank your you. voices were great. I don't know what you're what you're talking about. That they would be l- less good than mine. Well, that that means a lot 
Coming from you, I enjoy your performance as always. You did not use both a Cockney and a posh accent. Anyway, uh, I have zero complaints. Uh, no criticisms at all about yours. I think this story that you wrote is could be a standalone thing. You file off the serial numbers. It's just a good emotional story uh, that takes place in what, like 12, 1300 words? It's around 1200, a little shy. Wow, that is, that is jam-packed with with uh, emotion that's impressive um but yeah seriously it's you continue to impress me on this show the stuff you're able to write in such a a short amount of time and a short number of words really spectacular thank you i really appreciate that mark uh eric where was where was yours at you mentioned word count mine was at 1510 just went 10 over our limit of 1500 all right good good yeah, I was going to say, Eric, I just really enjoyed your story as well. Uh, I was super impressed that you are able to have a reveal like you did in this piece. Because that's really hard to do with such a constrained word count. And when you had so many... I mean, how many speaking characters did you have in this piece? I mean, all of them. Like just all of them. Seven? Just all of them. Yeah, that's super hard to do. <laughs> um, and you did a great job of getting this rich descriptive language for smells and sights and just feels i really got a sense of your locations uh in a very strong way so i I really just dug it cool thank you i appreciate that yeah yeah no i i'm glad again that marcus brought up um well the same thing that eric you brought up with you know establishing characters and many characters in a short amount of time and you know eric you said that in terms of marcus's piece and i agree but yours as well um, you you all those characters felt different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the voices definitely add to it, but I think that that would also be on the page given the material that you were able to establish distinct characters, um, so quickly. So that is a, definitely a strength of both of these pieces. Um, all right, I think we're ready to sign off. Uh, if you are interested in seeing Unforgiven. Um, it's out there. Go rent it. I think I watched it most recently with my HBO subscription. Not oh. sure if it's still out there, but uh, you can check. Uh, otherwise, I would be very surprised if it wasn't available for digital uh, rent or purchase via like your Amazons and your, your, your Voodoos and your iTunes and all that stuff. So definitely check it out. It, it is legitimately one of the greatest Westerns that has ever been made get it now on laserdisc hey <laughs> on betamax Ooh. whoa you know here here's a fun question um i don't know i don't know if you guys are I, you, I, I, we don't talk about westerns all that much yeah but can either of you point to some of your favorite westerns or one of your favorite westerns back to the future recommend? part three Oh God! Okay, strong, yep. strong agreement. That's a that's a good one. That's a good Might one. Might literally f- be the most influential western of my young life. Sure, that's that's I a think, good choice. I think you know there might have been a couple others. Like I, uh, Maverick is a big one that oh, I watched yeah. a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but other than that, Back to the Future Part Three was the most the western experience I had as a kid, which is maybe sad. Some people are um, in the audience are are just are are angry they're starting fires because i just said that i don't know maybe in the fact that it's it's like the movie just you could tell that zemeckis the director just wanted to make a western oh, like yeah. he just he, he's not like reinventing it at all you know and, but it's it's just a western it's a straight mm-hmm. up western and then it has all the callbacks to the first two movies like mm-hmm. it's just the rule of threes in that trilogy that movie just pays off a bunch of those jokes uh but otherwise yeah it's a good one it's a uh, solid one you know, true true grit was one which one uh so i've seen both of them okay okay Um, so both or is there one that you prefer well i I think i so i watched a lot of westerns like half watched uh back with my dad because he was always watching them so Mm -hmm. i've seen lots of portions of them not my favorite genre um the one that i have to throw out what's this would we call this a western would we call butch cassidy and the sundance kid a western oh, absolutely oh, for sure 100 percent. though very different very different yeah that's why i was wondering but uh that's a phenomenal movie so that's that's a huge influence yes 
Very good one to bring up. Very yeah. good. Well, I'm glad that'll that'll give our 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 listeners, if they haven't seen them somehow, a little extra a little extra homework to do. Rain all drops good movies. keep falling on my head. Oh yes, that there doesn't you go. mean. Let's finish the show. Let's do it. I think I hear all that right. song playing right now. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Note to self, Andrew, Mr. Editor, put that in there. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening to Sham Fiction for another week. This has been your favorite host, Andrew Neal, and I'm signing off. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. So I just did need some talking to the sun. And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling But there's one thing Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann and Andrew Neal Original music by Reed Reimer Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Do you hear that? That's the sound of the royalty-free forest beckoning you to the next episode of Sham Fiction. It's been over 20 years since the original, but with the release of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Sony managed to relaunch the franchise with nearly a billion dollars at the box office. Tune in to our next episode to hear Andrew and Eric relaunch it again, only months later, to no money whatsoever. This has been a Two Jackets production. <laughs>